This morning, I invite you to take your Bibles, whether in printed or digital form, and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're in the second part of a five-part series called Unconventional Wisdom. Unconventional Wisdom in a book that's somewhat overlooked and unknown. Ecclesiastes, as you might remember from last week, falls into the category of wisdom literature, The Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes fit into a group of books that prescribe things that we can do in our lives and things that we should be thinking about and ways to handle different problems and scenarios. It's a form of godly wisdom, godly guidance, practical wisdom. Most biblical scholars believe Ecclesiastes comes from the man known as Solomon, the Son of King David, who himself served on the throne for 40 years as king. And while there can be some other views of authorship of the book, I believe most everything points to Solomon. And for the purpose of this series, we're going to say it was Solomon. And he certainly had a significant amount of wisdom to share. The Bible actually refers to Solomon as the wisest man to ever live. And this particular Writing comes at the end of his life as he is passing wisdom, passing guidance to a son. The context is of an older gentleman passing wisdom to someone who is on their way up. And it could be very much that the one to receive this wisdom is going to sit on the throne himself one day. It's going to be king after his father. And so there are many points about what's most important, what's most Desired, what should we be seeking above all else? We learned last week that the word that's repeated over and over and over again is the word hevel, which means vanity or meaninglessness. It's the picture of vapor or a mist. And we concluded last week's message with the the, the wisdom of Solomon pursuing pleasure and pursuing pretty much everything the world has to offer. And he concludes that it's vapor. It's chasing after the wind. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But the second half of chapter two, Solomon is going to switch gears and speak more about his work. 40 years on the throne. He'll use the word toil and labor to describe what was his place in leadership. And he has some pretty honest thoughts and feelings about work, about toil. And I wonder, do any of you have some feelings about your work? Have some strong feelings about your work? Are you the kind of person that is working to pay the bills? Working for the weekend, working for a vacation, working for a day off, or is your work more than that to you? I want to poll the audience a bit and figure out who we have with us this morning. And so I'm going to ask you in just a moment to stand in one of three categories. And here are the three categories. Category one are those who are preparing for future work. Uh, Students, children, college age, career preparation stage. You're not working yet, but you're going to be working soon. That's category one. Category two are those that have already finished their working career. 
through retirement or just changing of priorities or you said, I'm out of here, I've had enough, and you've ceased working. And then the third group is those that are still actively in your work life. So if you're in category one, you're preparing for future work, would you stand? And this should be most of our teenagers and our... All right, let's, 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 let's say good luck to you guys. Good luck. It's going to be great. I promise. I promise you can, be, you can be seated. If you are in category two, you've already finished your vast work world, your work life. Would you stand? Well, we can give these folks a hand. They made it. They did it. Congratulations. All right, you may be seated. Now, if you're in category three, you're still currently working part-time, full-time, somewhere in your work-life experience, and you're still punching a clock for somebody, would you stand? All right. Okay. Look around. Look around. You can be seated. You can be seated. That's the actual larger group. And what I want us to think about today is how does this all play out in a spiritual sense. If you're the group that's going to be working in the future, I want you to lean in. I don't want you to check out because you think, well, this doesn't apply to me. You are going to spend an enormous amount of your adult life working. And if you're in category two, you've already ceased working. I want you to lean in because you never know when you might get called back up and you need to go back into work some more. And if you're in the group that's the larger group, the group that I also find myself in, the group that's still in the middle of our working years, I want you to lean in because we spend an enormous amount of our life in our work. Well, let's just do some math, quick math. Let's suggest that you work from age 25 to 65. Full time. Now, I know many of you started working way before then. And due to the stock market, many of us are going to work way past that. But let's just for math's sake, simplicity's sake, let's say 40 years from 25 to 65. And let's say you work full time, 40 hours a week. I know people work more than that. I know there are side hustles and part-time jobs and weekend gigs, but let's just for math say you work 40 years, 40 hours a week, and you work 50 weeks a year. You only take two weeks off for vacation or for sick or some sort of holiday. At the end of that 40 years, you will have been at work for 80,000 hours. 80,000 hours. Now, to give a comparison, let's just calculate how many hours you spend at church. The average Christian spends three hours a week at church, worship, small group, maybe in serving. And let's say you did that also for that same 40 years. You never missed a Sunday. You never took a Sunday off. You were here for those 40 years. At the end of that 40 years, you will have been at church for just over 6,000 hours but you will have been at work for 80,000 hours. I'm turning 46 next month. I started working when I was 21. I did the math. I'm already 50,000 hours in 
And I know because of what I got to do, I got 50,000 more to go. I'm at the midpoint. I got a long way to go ahead of me. I mean, work is such an enormous amount of what we do. It's an enormous amount of who we are as people. It's a part of our identity. Think about when you meet someone new, one of the first questions that you're asked or you ask them is, what do you do? Where do you work? What do you do for a living? I mean, work consumes our time and consumes our thoughts. I mean, some of us even dream about work at night. I mean, look at this little picture here. Some of us at work, like this young lady, we dream of getting home and getting in our beds and having a good night's sleep. And as soon as we fall asleep, what do we begin to dream about? About our work. It's silly, but it's true. Solomon, in the second part of Ecclesiastes 2, speaks to work. And he's got some feelings about it. And I want to try to capture what he says and maybe redefine the way we view work. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 18. The scripture says, and Solomon writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I hated all my toil, my work, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to a man who will come after me, And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity, hevel, meaninglessness. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from God, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? Uh, This morning, I want to map out the message in two parts. The first part, I want to speak to a few attitudes that many workers face concerning their work. Attitudes that would resemble that which Solomon had. Because attitude is everything. If we're going to spend 80,000 hours or more in our work, we need to look at our attitudes. And then I'm going to switch gears at the end and try to give you a few ways to redefine the way you view work, whether you're preparing for work, whether you're working now, or whether you've ceased in your work, how to look at it through a spiritual lens. Well, let's begin with three attitudes many workers face, and it comes from Solomon's words after 40 years looking back 
thinking about all that he has done, he says he despises work or despises the work that he has done. In verse 18, he says, I hated it. I hated all my work. I hated all my toil. Verse 20, he's reflecting on the time and he says, I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. And if you were with us last week, you might remember Solomon had a lot of jobs. He had a lot of work to do. He reminds us in chapter two that he built homes and he planted gardens and vineyards and flowers and trees, that he was an inventor of some irrigation system that brought green life to the desert. He certainly had work to do. It says that he has managed or served as king. And so there is an administration of business and of government. He had to muster armies and cities to defend. He certainly judged civil disputes. That was part of the king's duty then. Two plaintiffs would come and give an argument over something that needed to be settled. And he had to walk finally between what was wise and good and right and just. There's something we didn't discuss last week, and that's the building of the temple. If you read in First Chronicles, you know his father, David, had this vision of building God a dwelling place and that God allowed David to collect all the supplies, but it was Solomon who actually had to oversee the building. And it took years of project management and building and grounds and making sure the structure was all that God had intended it to be. Let's just say Solomon had a lot of work. And as he looks back, Over those 40 years, he admits he hated it. He despised it. That when his heart is turned open, he sees it as despair and sorrow and pain. And apparently he found no joy in his work. He found no fulfillment in his work. He had no sense that the blood and sweat and tears that he had poured in had any real meaning or significance. And, and, and sadly, I believe a lot of people feel the exact same way. No significance, no joy, no fulfillment, no meaning. A few years ago, a survey was conducted among American workers And they found that 39% of American workers would say about their job that they're very dissatisfied. Nearly four out of 10. The survey was repeated in 2020, just a few years ago, and had risen to 59%. Six out of 10 American workers said they were absolutely dissatisfied with their work. And you can probably understand why. In the middle of a global pandemic, The world is shifting. The world is upside down. Things don't make sense. There's shutdowns and layoffs and lockdowns and work from home. It began what is now referred to as the great resignation. Not the recession, but the resignation. The great resignation where millions of people 
either resigned or retired or just left their careers entirely with no intention of ever returning. In 2021, just last year, 47.8 million workers resigned. That's an enormous, it was about 4 million every month. They just quit, just quit. Now, certainly, a good number of them went to other positions or did other things. But it shows that 6 out of 10 working Americans are very dissatisfied. And that when the opportunity presents itself, there are millions and millions of people who would resign in a flash. And Solomon is describing an emotion that many people feel, and that's despising their work. They hate it. They punch in and punch out. And while they're there, all they dream about is something else. Such that many companies, and this is very new, have begun locking out LinkedIn from social media access during the job hours so that people don't go looking for other jobs while they're at their job. Quit looking around while you're at work. Work while you're at work. Look around when you get home. Can you imagine that that's what we've come to? Because it's such a reality that many people face. And it sounds like something that Solomon faced. Another attitude that's pervasive is particularly for those that have now retired from their work where they feel worry about what happens to what they've earned. And Solomon is fearing something about the passing of his earnings, the passing of his wealth to his son who will follow after him. And what if his son is overthrown or some other upstart takes him off the throne? Maybe it goes to somebody else. He says in verse 18, seeing that I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. In verse 21, he bemoans a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not work for it. This also is vanity, hevel. This is great evil. And Solomon's worrying about what happens to what he has earned after he's gone. And this is a common theme among many workers In the book, Millionaire Next Door, author Thomas Stanley did a study of hundreds of millionaires, self-made millionaires. And what he discovered, and this book is now 50 years old, he discovered they live under the radar, they are frugal, they're not spendthrift. I mean, they're very, very disciplined in the way they do. They live in their same house that they probably bought first and they live below what they make and they're constantly saving and they don't go into debt and they have very healthy marriages and they have really strong commitments to their faith. He discovered that was the common theme among self-made millionaires. But the second part of his book talks about the second generation. Those that inherited that from their parents. And the outcome of the study is most of them squandered it all because they had never learned the character discipline skills 
that the first generation had learned. And there is a worry. I mean, right now, baby boomers who make up the vast majority of Americans' wealth are coming to the end of their working careers or even to the end of their lives, and they're passing these amounts of wealth to another generation, the millennials and Generation Z, and the reality is most of it is going to be squandered. That's not a slight on the younger generation. It's just the fact of the matter. They haven't learned the discipline, the character development necessary to manage that which they receive. So there's a lot of folks worrying about that. My dad told me before he passed away, I earned it. You're not getting a penny of it. Actually, I kind of appreciate that. And now having read his will, he was telling the truth. Which was perfect. It went to my stepmother and that's where it should go. I have not received a penny of any inheritance. That is A-OK with me. My father certainly wasn't a millionaire by no stretch of the means. But there is a principle behind the fact that there is some worry that many people face about what they've earned. Well, a third attitude is that many lose sleep fretting over work. They worry about what's coming. They worry about what's happening. They despise where they are and they just lose sleep fretting over their work. Solomon explains this in verse 23. He says, For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation, a burden, a heavy, heavy burden. And even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. And there's probably many of us in that middle category who have lost sleep worrying about work. And there are certainly some in the category of having already finished who remember what it's like to wake up worrying about work. Well, the question I have for us as we turn this message is, is God concerned with our work, with what we do for a living? If we're going to spend 80,000 hours, maybe 100,000 hours In our work, does God have any meaning? Does God have any part in that? Is there any spiritual significance to what we do? Is God involved at all or is it completely separated? Oh, we have our spiritual life. We have our God life. And then everything else we do is just our work life. Are they completely separate? I would say the answer is absolutely not. I think they're absolutely interwoven. That God has a role and a plan for the work we do. He would not give us a hundred thousand hours to serve in some capacity and it not have some spiritual significance. And so I want to help us redefine the ways we view our work. And the first redefinition is to view work as a spiritual matter. View work as a spiritual matter. And I mean this. 99% of the work that's out there has spiritual significance. Now, there is a 1% that's criminal, illegal, and hurts people. I'm not referring to working for the mob or being involved in drug smuggling. Let's put that aside. But for the most part, 
everything that's available for us to do in the world of work has a spiritual significance. It has spiritual relevance. Our work, no matter for what job or what company or in what field, is a spiritual discipline that gives us the opportunity to shine brightly for Christ, to give glory to him for our labor, to have relationships and meaningful contact with those from other parts of the community and our world that allows us to be salt and light and allows us to make an impact, to make the world a better place. It has spiritual significance. And it's in that theme and in that spirit we hear the words of Paul in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whether word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything. Somebody say everything. Do everything. If you clean toilets for a living, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you mow lawns, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you file paperwork and run systems and manage people, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, let me have your hearts. If you drive a truck for a living, drive that truck to the glory of God. I mean, drive it with God's purpose and God's pleasure in mind. If you draw blood, I mean, draw that blood better than anybody else because you're doing it for Jesus. Drawing that blood for Jesus. You're doing it in his name. If you assemble parts or teach students or manage projects or lift heavy uh, loads, whatever you do, you can do it in the name of the Lord Jesus because you can do whatever, word or deed, and do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual matter. I once heard of the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, saying that he intended to smoke a cigar to the glory of God. I'm not so sure that's something that I want to admonish. It has bad impact on your health. But what he was saying was, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father in him. That includes our work. One of my favorite movies, an old, old movie, is the movie Chariots of Fire. Dun, 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 dun. You know the theme? Oh, come on. It's fabulous. It features the most important character, the living biography of Eric Lytle, who lived in Great Britain and was an Olympian, a world-class runner. He was also a missionary and served in difficult places. But the movie stems around the Olympics where he was choosing whether or not to run on a Sunday for one of the heats in those Olympics. But there's a line that comes from his very lips and most attribute this not to the movie, but actually something he said. 
where he was questioned and he answered this way, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. God has made you for a purpose. God's made you for a plan. And when you work, there is a way to view that as running in God's pleasure. Working for God's glory. Serving in an attitude of whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. It will change your attitude if you see work not as a burden, not as a drudgery, but as a spiritually significant matter. A matter for God's glory. Well, secondly, we can view work as a source of joy, a source of joy. Solomon writes in verse 24, there is nothing better. There's nothing better than for a person that he could eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil from dread and sorrow and vexation to joy. Joy can be found in work. Joy can be found in the contribution we are making, in the production of what we are offering, in the relationships we're forming, in the the benefits we're bringing to society. And I'm, I'm just scratching the surface of how work can be a source of joy. But it all comes down to attitude. Attitude is everything. If your attitude is work is a burden, work is a pain, work is something I have to do, then it's likely going to be a drain from joy. But if there is an attitude of this is a source of God's pleasure and God's goodness. It can change. And it most likely from God. So you view it as a gift. And this also, Solomon writes, I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from God, who can eat or have enjoyment? It's a gift. When we change our mindset from I have to go to work to I get to go to work, something starts moving. And from I get to go to work to I'm blessed as I go to work because it's from the hand of God. It's an opportunity for joy. It's a way to certainly be a spiritually sensitive person in this world and in this community. When you change from I have to to I get to and from I get to that I'm blessed because of, there is a significant attitude adjustment and work becomes a joy. Work becomes a spiritual practice. Work becomes something you have received from the hand of God. Friends, it all starts with an attitude. And I want to confess, I don't have that attitude every day. You know, I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I know some believe preachers only work on Sunday. But as your transitional pastor, I guarantee you tomorrow morning I'm going to work. Get there right about eight. Be done a little after five. I'm going to do it again on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. I get Saturday off. Hallelujah. Be here on Sunday. I'm going to go to work tomorrow. Just like many of you. 
And it will come down to the attitude I have for that work. Is it a spiritual discipline and a spiritual matter? Is it a source of joy and thankfulness? Do I view it as a gift from God? If all of those things change in my attitude, then I will find this work as something meaningful and significant and able to give God glory through it. Amen? And so will you. Could I have the praise team join me here? Because I wonder if this morning maybe we are needing an attitude adjustment about work. 80,000 hours, maybe 100,000 hours. Maybe work that has not yet begun or work that's just in the middle point of a long journey. How do you view work? Are you working to pay the bills? Or are you working to give God glory? Could I have you bow your heads for me? Just want you to ask yourself, wherever you are, how is your attitude? Does your attitude possibly need adjusting? Where do you stand today in view of work as a spiritual matter, a source of joy, a gift from the hand of God? If that's not where you are, Maybe today you just want to offer that to the Lord and ask Him to work something new and fresh in your heart and by His Spirit change your attitude. Maybe you worry over work. Maybe you fret and you just want to lay before Him those fears and those worries and those anxieties. Maybe you would even say, I despise my job, my work. I'd resign as soon as I could if I could provide something else. Maybe today you just want to say, Lord, work, change, mold, reshape, reform my heart so I can have an attitude that's honorable and good and right unto you. Not working unto a paycheck or working them for a company or for a person, but I want to work every single day for the glory of God in the name of the Lord Jesus as a salt and light representative of Him. Where are you at when it comes to your work? We're going to sing a song, and as the song is sung, and you are free to come to the altar and pray, you most certainly can pray where you are seated. If you want someone to pray with you about your work, about what's happening in your life, I would be honored, be happy to. And then we're going to flow into a time of communion where we're going to look to the work that Jesus performed on our behalf. We're going to look to the cross. The scripture says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus went to the cross for our behalf so that we could be made right before God. And we're going to look to the cross and remember and reflect in the taking of the elements. But where are you at today? Where are you at in terms of your work? So God, I come to you now, and as we respond appropriately to your spirit and your word, I pray if there be any that need an attitude adjustment, 
Their hearts need to be renewed. Their hearts and minds need to be transformed. I pray, God, that you would use your spirit in a mighty way in this very moment. God, we just come to you knowing that everything we do in word or deed, we can do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us do our work in his name. Let us just come to you with that heart and spirit in mind as we sing and respond. In Jesus' name I pray.